You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of Colossians. If you have your Bibles with you, let's join Pastor Ryan now. We are going to begin a series in the book of Colossians uh, this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can open there. We finished Philippians uh, about a month or so back, and then we did a series on the cross. And uh, now we're going to start a series in the book of Colossians. And if you're new here, we just go through the New Testament on Sunday mornings, and we go uh, book by book, and, and within those books, we, uh, we look at them verse by verse. And great way to go through the Bible, and, and we hit upon so many different topics and so many different uh, issues for our life that we don't have to create things, we don't have to make stuff up. God has already given it to us uh, here in His Word, and uh, I'm excited about this study in Colossians. The, the book of Colossians is really all about Jesus, and Colossians and Ephesians were written about the same time while Paul was in Rome, and they were written to people that lived in the same region, pretty much. Like Colossae would be similar to Prineville, and, and maybe uh, Ephesus would, would be like Bend, and, and uh, they, they were written about the same time to people that live generally in the same area, and they, they have some similarities uh, Ephesians can be broken in half, the first three chapters dealing with all that Jesus has done for us, and then the last three dealing with how we respond to that, and Colossians is much the same. You can break it right down the middle, the first two chapters, Paul deals with doctrine, and with what Jesus has done, and who he is. And then in the last two chapters, he, he begins to tell us, look, this is how you respond to that. And when we get that backwards, when we start trying to do stuff for God before we realize what He's done for us, man, we get it all messed up. And that's so sad when that happens and when that's preached, when it's what you need to do for God and you better get your life right and you better act, uh, act straight and all this. And reality biblically says, no, understand what Jesus has done for you. And then you will simply respond to that. And, and Colossians, like Ephesians, begins with what Jesus has done and who He is. And every letter of Paul has a definite theme. If, if you're familiar with the New Testament, you know that. Paul wrote with themes in mind. And as he wrote these letters to churches, he, he had issues and topics in mind. And we just finished Philippians where the theme of that book was joy. Joy despite your circumstances. And here in Colossians, the theme is the absolute preeminence of Jesus. You guys know what preeminence means? It's that He is the very center of our life. That everything is in Him. As that verse says in the the graphic on the screen, that we are complete in Him. That we find everything our fulfillment and our satisfaction in Jesus. And you guys, if you're trying to find your fulfillment, your satisfaction, if something else is preeminent in your life, and I don't care if that's another person, I don't care if that's alcohol, I don't care if that's sex, I don't care if that's some hobby or money, if it's anything other than Jesus, it will leave you empty and searching for more. Jesus brings us satisfaction. He's the center of everything. And He wants to be, He may not be, but He wants to be the center of your life this morning. 
He desires to hold the place of preeminence in our life. And that's what we're going to talk about in the book of Colossians. So it's going to be exciting. And as I said, Colossae was a real city. It doesn't exist anymore, but it was a real city located in Asia Minor in what would be today the western part of Turkey. And interestingly enough, Paul never actually visited Colossae. Never went there. He didn't plant this church. In fact, we know that Epaphras, who was a person that Paul had ministered to while in Ephesus. Paul was in Ephesus, close by to Colossae, and it was there that he spent three years. You remember he started a school of ministry in the house of Tyrannus, book of Acts tells us. And it was there that Epaphras came to know Christ. Paul sent him out to go back to his hometown and plant a church. And that's what Epaphras did. And Epaphras planted this church, but then after some years, probably about five years, the church began to have some problems and some false teaching began to creep into the church. And Epaphras went and sought Paul out in Rome where Paul was imprisoned. And he wanted help and he wanted to know what to do. And, and Paul heard about the problems that were happening in the church and he had a heart for these people even though he had never been there. And so he wrote him a letter. And Epaphras actually stayed with Paul and, and helped Paul and, and other people took over the church in Colossae and Paul sent back uh, the, the latter part of... Colossians tells us he sent back Tychicus and Onesimus to deliver the letter. And so it's an interesting uh, set of circumstances that leads Paul to write this letter. And the false teachers that Paul is addressing believed in Jesus. Let's get that straight. They believed in Jesus. But they were not willing to give Jesus the rightful place in their lives. They were not willing to give Jesus the place of preeminence. False teachers had a message. Let's understand that. They had a message, but it wasn't a message rooted in Jesus. It was a message centered upon legalism, man's wisdom. It was a message that said that Jesus is just one of many emanations from God. Just one of many. Maybe you've heard that before. They were all about acquiring knowledge. In fact, these people were called Gnostics. The word Gnostic and Gnosticism comes from a Greek word, Gnosis, which means knowledge. And that's what these people were all about was knowledge. People worship at the altar of knowledge today as well. But this knowledge, this wisdom, this message had no power to change lives. And that's what Paul wants to address. He, he wants to tell them, look, do what you want with Jesus. But don't make him into one of many gods or one of many paths or, or one of many teachers who we ought to adhere to. Jesus needs to be the preeminent one or just bag him altogether. And that's what Paul addresses here as he writes this letter. And I think it's apropos in, in our culture and in our society. As we have people that say that Jesus is just one of many ways. And, and, and we have people like Oprah that say, hey, I believe in Jesus. But look, what it is, is it, it's just you need to be a good person. And you need to give away lots of money. Which works when you have lots of money. But what about those of us that don't have lots of money? And can't give away millions at a time and buy everybody in the audience a new car. Just be a good person. Just, just live in harmony with the earth and don't litter and help old people across the street. And, and that's all that matters. That, that's, that's the bottom line. And hey, I'm not saying that we ought to trash the earth, that we ought not to help people. We're going to talk about that this morning. 
the, the fruit that comes out of Christianity. But you guys, it's rooted in Jesus. And that's the problem with many of these philosophies and, and many of these people and these gurus and these spiritual leaders that are out there today is that it's rooted in the wisdom of men and not in the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. It's all about Jesus. And so we're going to look at the first eight verses of Colossians this morning. And we're going to look at the preeminence of the gospel this morning. So let's read our text and we'll go back and and we'll look at a few things. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. And so the thing that we want to look at this morning is the preeminence of the gospel. That is the message of Jesus. The gospel is that Jesus came to this earth, took on human flesh, that the God of the universe became a man. And then he was crucified and he took the sin of man upon himself. And he was buried in a tomb and he was resurrected the third day and now he ascended to heaven where he sits at the right hand of God. That's the gospel. And the gospel means good news. And the first thing that we see here in looking at the preeminence of the gospel is that they heard the gospel. Look at verse 5. He says, Of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Romans 10.17 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We have to hear the gospel. You have to have it register in your mind. You have to be told the gospel. You have to to be able to understand the truth of the gospel. And these people here in Colossae had heard the gospel through Epaphras, who, as I said, was saved under Paul's ministry. And, And then he went out and ministered to his hometown, to his family. You know, that's where ministry really ought to start. Maybe you're a new believer and and you're wondering what God has called you to do. Man, ministry ought to start by telling your friends and your family about Jesus. Ministering to those that are around you. And, And even if you're not a new believer here this morning, for all of us, Ministry really needs to start in our families and and where we live and in our workplaces and at the park as we're watching our kids play and at the restaurant and in the, the line at the grocery store and wherever you find yourself. That's ministry. That's what we ought to be doing is allowing people to hear the gospel from us. These people had heard the gospel and that's where it starts, you guys. You might share the gospel with someone 50 times before they give their life to Christ. 
You might share the gospel with hundreds of people and never actually lead someone to Jesus, but that isn't your responsibility. Your responsibility is to simply be a messenger, to allow people to hear the gospel through you. And for some reason, Jesus has chosen us, foolish as we are, to share the gospel with people. Now, I think if I was coming up with a plan, I would have come up with a different plan. You know, why use frail, failing, foolish people? But that's what Jesus has chosen to do. He's used the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And he wants to use you. And you don't have to be some eloquent speaker, some articulate evangelist. You just need to be able to share the basics with people so that they can hear the gospel, so that it can register in their mind. And I love verse 6 that says that it's open and effective for the whole world, which has come to you as it has also in all the world. What other message, what what other truth is effective and open to the whole world? Think about that. Nothing but the gospel. Nothing but the gospel is is open and effective and, and able to be understood and applied in the whole world. And that's why when people start to add to the gospel and start to pervert the gospel and start to say, hey, you know, Jesus wants you to be healthy and wealthy. Hey, try to take that to AIDS-ridden Africa or to impoverished Central America. Try to take that message to, to people that it isn't true for. doesn't work, does it? It doesn't work if I was to say to my dad, hey, dad, Jesus wants you to be healthy. Well, tell that to my brain that just had a tumor removed from it. Tell that to my body which is dying. Jesus had a different plan and has a different plan. And maybe you'll heal my dad. I don't know. But all I know is that Jesus is using this in such a powerful way in his life that who could ever say that wasn't Jesus' plan for him? And when we pervert the gospel and when we twist the gospel, we make it ineffective. And we make it not applicable to the whole world, as Paul says here. They heard the gospel. That's the first thing. They learned it from Epaphras. They heard it. And it was then appropriated into their life. And that's the second thing. They believed the gospel. Look at verse 2. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ. Paul calls them saints. Set apart, holy, which can only be true of those of us who know Jesus personally. That's the only place of holiness is through Christ, of righteousness and of right standing before God. And he could confidently call them saints. It's not enough to simply hear the gospel. We must believe it and place our faith and trust in Jesus. It's not enough just to hear it. It isn't even enough to just mentally ascend to it. It it has to be appropriated into your heart. And you have to place your faith and your trust in the entirety of the gospel message, which says that you and I are sinners and that we're in need of a Savior, that we're in need of something that we cannot purchase or find or get on our own. And that offends our pride, and that goes against the, the, the fabric of our flesh, which tells us that we can do anything, and we, we have it in and of our own strength. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. And so, 
Yes, we have to hear it as they did, but then we have to believe it as they did. He says, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Since we heard of your faith. Paul had heard about the fact that they had placed faith in Christ. And it also tells us here that they had learned from Epaphras. And that word learned, it's related to, to a word that means disciple. And so this is beyond just learning information. This was something that had revolutionized their life and they had become disciples of Jesus. And here's where I think many believers, if you will, fall short. Many people that have come to Christ, even in this ministry, fail to, to go on to become disciples, to become true followers of Christ. And it's certainly offered to people. It's certainly available to be discipled, to have someone come alongside of you and, and help you in your walk with the Lord and to teach you the basics and the foundational truths. But so often people... They respond maybe in, a, in an emotional moment. So often people will believe because they recognize the truth of what is being taught and shared, but then that truth doesn't permeate their life and Jesus does not become preeminent. And, and they don't become followers of Jesus. And if that's true of you this morning, if you're a person that believes, and maybe you grew up in the church, maybe you've been coming to this church for a while, maybe you think because you're an American that you're a Christian, or because you know you recognize that Jesus really was a true and valid historical person, and you think that's good enough. Look, none of that is good enough. You have to become a follower of Christ. He has to permeate your life, and He has to become preeminent in your life. The very focus of your life. And so they heard the gospel, then they believed the gospel, which that belief, which translated into salvation, as Paul tells us in Romans 10.9, believe and you will be saved. It also was very evident. It was evident to those that watched them, that knew them. They were changed by the gospel. They heard the gospel they believed the gospel, and then they were changed by the gospel. And that, you guys, is key. If you truly are a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, if you claim to know Christ and that you are on your way to heaven, you will be changed. Not entirely, not perfectly, not that you won't make mistakes and not that you won't fail, not that you won't have struggles, but you will change. They were changed by the gospel. See, it's not enough to simply hear it. It's not even enough to just believe it in your mind. It has to change your life. And that's not something that we do. It isn't that we go, okay, the gospel's true, and so that means I need to try really hard, and i got to change my life. No, the very fact that you believe the gospel, that you receive Jesus into your life, it will change you. There will be a revolution in your life. You can't help it. It's not something that you do. It's something that He does because you allowed Him to come into your life. And I remember when I came to Christ at 15 years old and the, the things that 
I could never do on my own began to just radically change in my life. And it's so fun to watch people who truly come to Christ. And I've been able to watch some of you truly come to Christ and truly change and be transformed and be revolutionized. And we see that as Paul calls them saints. He calls them holy. He calls them faithful brethren in Christ. He says in verse 4 that he had heard about their faith. That means that their faith was demonstrative enough that he had heard about it. That it was something that was tangible. That people could come to him and say, man, those people in Colossae are really on fire for the Lord. And here's why. We also see in verse 4 and then in verse 8 that they had love for one another. And what did Jesus tell us? Was the greatest way that we could demonstrate that we are Christians by our knowledge of the Bible, by our attendance at church, by our charismatic and magnanimous personality, by the fact that we raise our hands in worship, by the fact that we go to a cool church. No, none of that. None of that is what Jesus said. Jesus said, this is how you will know and they will know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. And that's tough. And that's tough because here's the thing, is that not everybody's lovable. Not everybody's even likable. Some people are downright nasty. Some people are just irritating. And some people are annoying. It doesn't mean that we have to be best friends with everybody. It doesn't mean that we're going to necessarily enjoy the company of everyone. This is where we get it mixed up and kind of convoluted. It doesn't mean that we're phony. It doesn't mean we put on a big smile and tell people how great they are when we don't mean it. And we all know people like that. It makes me want to vomit. (laughs) Don't say stuff that you don't believe or you don't think is true. That's not love. That's phoniness. That's flattery. Love is not shirking your responsibility to rebuke people. Love is, is none of those things. Love is caring about people, having a heart for people, serving people, giving your life for people, even when they're unlovable and irritating and annoying. See, that's, that's what it is. It means you take time to talk to people when you don't really want to. It means that you serve people. It means that you wash people's feet. It doesn't mean that you think they're awesome. It doesn't mean that you think that, that they're just so fun to be around that you're going to convince yourself that this annoying person is all of a sudden just so amazing. It's not what it means. The person may continue to annoy you. The person may just irritate you to death. But you love them anyway. And that's why this concept of falling out of love or that I don't love you anymore. Wait, wait, wait. You, you never did love that person. See, love is not an emotion. Love is not something that you know, you, you do when you feel like it. If that were the case, then I would only love people, you know, like once a year. <laughs> when I'm really in a good mood, you know. I would only love my wife when, when she does cool stuff for me. But other than that, I mean, geez, th- this, isn't, this isn't fun. This isn't easy. This doesn't always feel good. It's not always exciting. See, love, you guys, is is something that we choose to do. And Jesus is our model of it. 
And it's the greatest demonstration that our lives have been radically changed is that we love one another. The fact that we love each other, the fact that you can get a whole bunch of different people with different backgrounds and different education and different intelligence and different giftings and different personalities and and that we can get along and that we can be united for a common purpose. It doesn't mean we're all going to be best buddies. Oh man, it's so awesome. I love this guy. Doesn't mean that at all. Doesn't mean that we're going to hang out all the time and that everybody's going to be your best friend. And that's the the really twisted thing that people think about pastors is that, you know, the pastor is just supposed to be best buddies with everybody in the church. And that a pastor doesn't have the right, like everyone else, to choose his own friends. The pastor is just supposed to be friends with everybody. That's not a pastor. That's not a pastor at all. That's a used car salesman. If you want to use car salesmen, there's plenty of them. It's not a pastor. See, what, what we need is to, to love each other, and it, and it goes way beyond what you feel, what you think. It, it, it's action. It's saying, you know what? The last thing I want to do right now is talk to this person. The last thing I want to do, but I'm going to take the time. You know, the last thing I want to do is, is go help that guy move. Or the last thing I want to do is, is go help that lady that's sick and bring her food. And the last thing I want to do is go visit that person. But we do it because we love people. And they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. They also had hope. Look at verse 5. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. They had hope. That's a change, isn't it? To have hope that isn't rooted in winning the lottery, that isn't rooted in, well, maybe I'll become a professional athlete, that isn't rooted in maybe somebody in my family will strike it rich and I'll inherit a bunch of money. It isn't rooted in our circumstances. It's not conditional at all. That's what we place our hope in, isn't it? Man, I hope I get this promotion. Or I hope I get this opportunity. But that's not the hope that we're talking about here. Because most of the time, for most of us, that hope has let us down. Whatever it was that you were hoping would happen, oftentimes doesn't. And even for those that it does happen to, at some point in time, it will let them down. We don't place our hope in anything in this world, in any person, in any material thing. In any opportunity, we place our hope in Jesus. He says, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. See, if you're looking, you guys, to find satisfaction and to find fulfillment and to find hope in anything other than Jesus, you will be sorely disappointed. Just think about all the things that that you've placed hope in. How many people have placed hope in education? Man, If I just go get an education, I'll get a good job, I'll make lots of money. How many people are looking for jobs right now that are highly educated? How many people did did that not work for? Didn't work out the way they thought it would? How many people have placed their hope in a person? Oh, if I could just marry this person, I'll be happy. And you got married, and now you're not happy. If I could just buy this thing, if, if I could just move to a different place... Grass is always greener, but then when you get there, you realize you've got to mow the grass. It's always the same, right? 
And we're placing our hope in the wrong things. Our hope has to be rooted in Jesus because He is where we find completeness and fulfillment and satisfaction. That's what Paul wants them to understand. That's what he wants to remind them of. See, they knew that. They knew that the same way you know that, but they had to be reminded of it because these false teachers had come in and said, no, your hope can be found in other things. Your fulfillment can be realized in other avenues. And man, that's creeping in all around us. And even as believers, we can buy into these things. That that new job will make me happy. That new car, that new house, that new relationship, that new marriage. It astounds me how many Christians will just flippantly divorce their spouse and remarry thinking that that's going to make them happy. It's not going to make you happy at all. In fact, we know that Six out of ten marriages in the United States fail. First marriages. The statistic goes up to eight out of ten in second marriages, and it's off the charts in third and fourth and fifth marriages. Somewhere along the line, you begin to realize that I'm the problem here. And until you recognize that, you're never going to have a successful marriage. Now, it doesn't mean that if you're on your third marriage, it can't be successful, What it means is that you've got to realize that that wife, that that husband, won't be your fulfillment. They won't be your satisfaction. They're going to let you down. They're going to hurt you. Jesus is your hope, period. And He wants to be preeminent in your life. He wants to be the focus of your life, the focus of your thoughts. And maybe right now you're just discouraged, you're down, you're depressed, And here's the reason, because Jesus is not preeminent. You're focused upon the wrong things. Not only did they have hope, but they bore fruit. And this is what I want to close with, verse 6. Which has come to you as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard. It began to bring forth fruit the very day they heard it and they believed it. The very day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth, they bore fruit. Now, there's a couple types of fruit. There might be a lot more, but I, I kind of narrowed it down to two that I could really classify. One is the fruit of a changed life. We've talked about that and that this whole heading, this whole point is that they were changed by the gospel. The fruit of a changed life. Remember John the Baptist baptizing people? And what did he say to them? Go and bear fruits worthy of of repentance. There's the fruit of a changed life. Galatians chapter 5 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. It's the fruit of a changed life. And again, listen to this, you guys. This isn't something that you'll drum up and produce on your own. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells us that we're saved by grace. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. And oftentimes we stop right there. Okay, that's the gospel. I'm saved. Cool. But in verse 10, he goes on to say that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we should walk in them. Prepared beforehand, he tells us. Prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, these fruits have already been prepared. We just have to simply allow God to manifest them in our life. As we abide in Him, Jesus tells us, we will bear much 
fruit. It's the fruit of a changed life. And if there isn't fruit of a changed life in you, you've got to really evaluate yourself and say, man, am I plugged in to the vine? Do I know Jesus? Or am I just a branch that's kind of laying out here on its own? If you've ever had a fruit tree and you cut off the branches, they don't bear fruit anymore. But the branches that are abiding in the, the vine or the trunk of that tree, they bear fruit. And they don't have to work at it. They don't have to think about it. They just do it. The fruit of a changed life. Bearing fruits worthy of repentance. That's one of the things I think Paul says, and he's talking about when he says, that they brought forth fruit. Well, another type of fruit is the fruit of ministry. Fruit of ministry. In John 15, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Now, I believe that John 15 is talking about not so much the fruits of Galatians chapter 5 as he is talking about the fruits of ministry. And often, this is where we fail as believers, is that, yeah, there's fruit of a changed life, but there, there isn't fruit in ministry. That ministry is something that other people do. That ministry is something that I receive, not something that I do. That ministry is the work of a pastor or the work of somebody in full-time service. You guys, ministry is for all of us. Ministry is something that we all do. And I think the most important ministry that we can do, as we're talking about the preeminence of the gospel, is to share the gospel, is to tell people about it, is to live it out in such a way that people want it. People want it. And when they see it in your life, they're going to ask questions. The, the graphic has a, a puzzle piece. If you ever put together a puzzle and, and you're missing one piece, you put the whole thing together and you're missing one piece, it will drive you insane. You'll search high and low. You're asking people, have you seen the, the puzzle piece? It had to be here. It said there were 5,000 pieces and apparently I only got 4,999. And I've worked on this thing for like six months. And I, I want that peace. And that's what people are desperately longing for is that one piece. And it's missing. And maybe they don't even know it quite yet. But when they see you living a fulfilled and a complete life, when they see you having a successful marriage, and you better believe one of the greatest tools of evangelism in our society is a successful marriage. When they see you loving your kids, when they see you loving them, not blabbing, not yelling, not looking down on them, not judging them, not telling them they're going to hell, not minimizing their pain with your own stories, none of that stuff, none of this stuff that typically exists in churches that drives me nuts, none of the stuff that makes a lot of people say, why do I even want to go to church? I hate Christians. They drive me insane. And we can be some of the most ridiculous people, can't we? None of that. But no, it's living a, a life that has Jesus at the very center of it, where he's preeminent, and people will want it just as much as that person wants that last piece of the puzzle. They'll want it. They'll come asking you. Remember the first sermon ever given in the history of the church on the day of Pentecost? Peter, unprepared, stands up and just delivers... An amazing message. Does it say that Peter said, Now, any of you that want to get saved, why don't you raise your hand? Now, every head and bowed and eye closed. 
and recite this prayer after me. Is that what Peter said? No, I kind of picture like Peter delivered the message. He's about to walk off. And they said, hey, hey, what must we do to be saved? They wanted it. They wanted it. People want it, you guys. They want that fulfillment. They want that completeness. And when we live it out before them, they'll ask us questions. And we get to share. And then they'll hear it, they'll believe it, and it will change their life. Hopefully that's true of all of us. And this morning, you've heard the gospel. Do you believe it? Has it changed your life? If not, I encourage you, don't leave here today without making Jesus the very center of your life. Maybe you are a believer, but maybe Jesus is no longer the center of your life. Maybe he's become something completely different than that. He's no longer preeminent. Something else has taken his place, and it's ruining your witness. It's ruining your ministry. It's ruining your marriage. It's ruining your relationship with your kids. That's the place Jesus wants to hold. That's what the gospel demands, is that Jesus is preeminent. Let's stand and pray together. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. God, what an amazing thing we get to do, to open your word and to hear from you. And Lord, I pray that we have been spoken to you this morning spoken to by you this morning. Lord, not my words, not my opinions, God, any of that, just blow it up. Lord, we want to hear from you. We want these truths to permeate our hearts and our lives. Lord, we want them to go down and produce fruit and fruit that will remain. Lord, I pray that you'd bless each person here. Jesus, I pray that you would become preeminent in our lives that you would become the very focus and center of our lives. And as we study this great book of Colossians, Lord, I pray that that would become true, that we wouldn't just hear your word, but that we would do your word. Lord, bless each one that's here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.